0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holstein. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. It should not be lost on you that uh, much of the language that we use in our worship uh, is corporate. Notice how many times we use the words we and our in our worship. We raise the banner, our anthem, uh, we uh, worship the King. Uh, this is a critically important time uh, when we gather as we have this morning, and I'm so grateful that you're here. I'd love to worship with you. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1. While you're turning there, I want to mention uh, just real quickly that uh, I got to watch, and most of our pastoral team anyway, got to watch uh, much of uh, our family of churches. Uh, annual gathering out in Anaheim, California this past week. Uh, Thankfully, uh, there's technology available that allows us to uh, jump on the live stream. In fact, you could do that as well if you cared to uh, uh, do so. Um, I I was talking to a pastor friend uh, after uh, the convention, and I said if I had to use emojis to describe uh, the things that I'm feeling over the couple of days that our family of churches come together, uh, there would be a whole string of them, okay? Like There are times that I'm just like, yeah, fist bump, man, because one of the most significant things that happened is we saw 52 missionaries commissioned to go to the uttermost parts of the earth through our cooperative efforts. And you're a part of that. When you give, yeah, praise the Lord. There's much to celebrate. And you need to know that many of those people, when they shared their testimonies, all you could see was their shadow. Their voices were altered. Their their real names were not used because they're going to some of the most dangerous places on the planet. That's significant. That's huge. Uh, something else, even sig- uh, is significant as well, is that the messengers uh, voted overwhelmingly to adopt the recommendations of the sexual abuse task force. Uh, there were many other things uh, that were done and accomplished, and uh, and so uh, there were points where, man, I would be using the thumbs up emoji and all that. There are other times that I want to use the you know, facing the palm emoji or whatever, or just, what? what? What is this? What are you doing? What You know, like I said, we've got some weird cousins, okay? Um, but anyway, uh, I'm thankful that uh, we uh, continue to be largely uh, focused in uh, our unity and in mission and all of those things, so I was highly encouraged by uh, much of what transpired out in Anaheim and uh, actually looking forward to uh, uh, gathering uh, in New Orleans next year. And so uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. I did make uh, some uh, brief commentary on Thursday's noon prayer video. And so if you didn't get a chance to, to look at that, you can go to the church's uh, Facebook page. And at the beginning of the, the uh, video there, the prayer time, uh, I did mention a few things about the convention that would maybe uh, further clarify a bit uh, some of the things that happened there. And so would encourage you to, uh, to check that out. Proverbs chapter 1, have you ever wished uh, that there was a wisdom app? We use apps for all kinds of things these days. Um, seems like more and more uh, we are driven toward technology uh, to uh, supposedly uh, make life more convenient for us. But can you imagine if there was such a thing as a wisdom app? Perhaps you could enter your dilemma or the important decision that you are facing, a decision that you need to make, and the app would give you the answer Uh, the perfect insight that you need to make the right decision. Some of you uh, will remember a few years ago, Staples, um, the uh, office supply company, uh, they had an ad campaign. Remember, you hit that red button. That was easy, remember that? Well, right around that time, uh, somebody very generously gave me one of those red buttons that had easy on it, and I kept it on my desk for a long time, and so when people in the church would come in for counsel and all those things, I would say, well, that was easy. Rarely in my counseling, and I don't pretend to be a great counselor or especially gifted in that area, but um, rarely do I give advice. Um, Most often what I'm at least trying to do is help you find the wisdom. Help you find the wisdom. Because when you think about it, life is really fundamentally made up of a bunch of choices when it's all said and done. I I would suspect that hopefully all of you when you got up this morning, whether you realized it or not, you made the choice to brush your teeth before you came to church, and we thank you for that. All right? And you didn't, Hopefully you didn't have to contemplate that decision very long. Hopefully you weren't standing there in front of the mirror going, eh. You know. A lot of life is made up of those kinds of decisions. In fact, you, you do it so routinely that you don't even really think about it being a decision. On the other hand, there are a lot of times in life that we come and we go, what in the world is this? Especially over the last two and a half years or so. We have lived in a world where, I mean, you just you don't know what to think, you don't know what to do, you don't know what to believe, you know, all of those things. So we live in what I would describe as the most complex time in human history. Human beings have never had so much immediate access to such an overwhelming amount of information as we do right now. Some of y'all are old enough to remember that if you needed information on something, you had to actually pull an encyclopedia off the shelf. Uh, Some of you, and I won't mention any names, but your encyclopedia was on stone tablets, okay? I I understand. But uh, the truth is, we we don't lack for information, right? Right? We don't. I mean, you, just, you, just, you can have it on your phone. I mean, it's in your fingertips in just a matter of seconds, literally. And so with that, globalization then has created this storm of cultures and worldviews and ideologies. And even the, the, the least known people on the planet can put ideas out there that can be consumed by literally millions of people. It's kind of scary when you think about it. All those ideas, all those worldviews are competing for space and for influence in our lives. And so that's why we often say it is more critical than ever that you guard your hearts and know who and what is discipling you. Because you can sit there and scroll hour after hour after hour, and actually what's happening is you are being discipled by the content in front of your face. And what that demonstrates is that in all likelihood, you lack wisdom. You lack wisdom. So uh, for the rest of the summer and uh, perhaps even into part of the fall, we're going to be opening together the book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs. And so I want us to look this morning at the first seven verses of chapter one. And I hope that you'll follow along this morning as I read. If you don't have a copy of God's word this morning, we would love to give you one. Uh, If uh, you don't have your Bible with you this morning, you can uh, follow along on the screen. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction." So this morning, we're going to kind of lay the foundation for this study, and I'll tell you uh, on the front end of this series of messages, this will not be a verse-by-verse walk through uh, the entirety of the book of Proverbs. Uh, This is the type of literature that does not really lend itself to that, and I hopefully uh, will help you understand that a little bit better here in just a few moments, but uh, what we're going to do is kind of give you a, a brief overview, really, of the book of Proverbs and hopefully where we are heading in This series. And so this morning, uh, the message is simply entitled What is Wisdom and How Can I Get It? Uh, The dictionary definition of wisdom is simply this it's the ability to make good judgments based on what you have learned from experience. Now, that's not an especially spiritual definition. Okay, that just comes out of the Cambridge Dictionary, I think. The ability to make good judgments based on what you have learned from experience. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hands this morning, but I got a pretty good idea that many of you would say that there are some things in life that you have learned, but you've learned it the what? The hard way, right? Yeah, the hard way. I'm kind of at a place in my life, in my ministry now, where it seems like I'm having more and more conversations with other pastors who are younger than I am, okay? I'm still young, okay? Don't misunderstand, but there are just a lot more pastors out there who are younger than I am, and so uh, many times just in, in the course of conversation, they'll ask me for some advice or for some wisdom and all that. You know what I find myself saying most often? I don't have any especially wise nuggets for you in that particular area, but I can tell you a few potholes to avoid. You know why I can say that? Because I've hit the potholes, okay? Okay. <laughs> I've made dumb decisions. I've made foolish mistakes along the way. And hopefully, wisdom says you learn from that. You learn from that. The classic definition of a fool is someone who continues to do the same stupid things over and over again, not learning that you should stop doing stupid things. So we want to unpack what God's Word has to say about wisdom. Wisdom is knowing the right thing to do at the right time in the right way. And I would go a step further and say it is more than just knowing the right thing to do. It is actually following through and doing the right thing at the right time in the right way. Wisdom allows us to rise above the clouds of our emotions and our biases. It looks beyond the hills of our present circumstances to a much bigger picture. In fact, someone, I think very wisely, uh, defined wisdom as the ability to see life from God's perspective. One of the things that I marvel, every time I fly, uh, which is not all that often, but I had the opportunity to fly out to uh, far west Texas a few weeks ago for a a leadership retreat out there. and it, It just always baffles me how much more ordered this planet looks when you're at however many thousands of feet in the air. I mean, to me, every field looks perfectly square almost. Have you ever noticed that? Like, all the roads look incredibly straight, and everything just seems like it has so much order to it. But when you get down here, it seems super chaotic, right? Can you imagine the difference in how God sees our world and how we see the world so what we want to do is develop a heart that says, I want to be able to see the world from God's perspective. I want to see all of these different things, these challenges that we are facing as, as humans right now in a very broken, messed up, sinful world. I want to see those things from God's perspective. Now, what we tend to do a lot of times is we like to, we like to put on different lenses, right? Right? And one of the things that we find ourselves doing is we want to quickly grab the political lens. and I want to look at life and look at the world through the political lens. And and some of us have a hard time even putting those lenses down. What we want to do is look at the world through a biblical lens. We want to see life from God's perspective. Um, So uh, how about a little Hebrew this morning, right? Okay, Uh, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but uh, the Hebrew word usually translated wisdom in our English Bibles is the word chokmah. Like most Hebrew words, it sounds like you have a hairball, okay? (laughs) That's kind of the way Hebrew works, It means much more than knowing the right thing to do, but actually putting that knowledge into action. In fact, in ancient times, the same word would be used of a skilled artisan who not only possessed the knowledge required for a certain trade or craft, but the ability to actually do the craft or the trade. I use this example often because the older I get, the less I can do physically. Okay, obviously, there are things I could do 30 years ago that I can't do today. And, and so I think about basketball, for example. There was a time when um, I, I was, I guess, average, maybe a little better than average as a basketball player. And so I, I can see the move a lot of times when I'm watching a basketball game, but I can't do the move. Okay? So, wisdom is not only the ability to see the move, but being committed to doing the move. Uh, that's what we're talking about. So if you were walking through a marketplace and you admired a, a particularly beautiful piece of pottery, uh, in, in ancient times you would say, that is chokmah. The artisan, the person who made this piece of pottery, they have wisdom. Chuchma. Okay, So it is the ability to take the knowledge that God has given us and actually put it into practice. Let me make it a little more simple for you. And you've probably heard this before, but knowledge is knowing, knowing the information that a tomato is actually a fruit, but wisdom is knowing that you don't put tomatoes in fruit salad. Right? There's a lot of things like that in, in life, and so don't confuse the two. We often we, we, we use them interchangeably in stuff, and it may appear that way even in Scripture sometimes. They are not one and the same. In fact, most of us, if you, I think you would probably agree with me this morning, most of us, some of the smartest people we know, in terms of book knowledge, IQ, and all that, possess very little wisdom. It's amazing to me. I, and some of the most wise people I know, is it why, more wise, why, most wise, wisest, some of the wisest people I know really don't have a very high IQ. And so don't confuse those two things. So again, what is wisdom and how do we get it? God's Word gives us three first steps in the pursuit of wisdom. Number one, to gain wisdom, fear God. Fear God. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So to properly understand the world and our place in it, we have to recognize the author of it all. One who is at the center of it all, the giver of life, the sustainer of life. And we have to give him the respect and the reverence that he is due. Understand this, God and his world do not bend and shift to our wishes. And when we try to force them to, reality will many times snap back against us with grave consequences. Wisdom recognizes God and his reality and bends to fit that reality. Again, that's where it's so important that wisdom, we understand wisdom as being able to see life from God's perspective to gain wisdom. Number two, ask God. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? It's surprisingly simple. And yet James writes in James chapter 1, And he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So to gain wisdom for life, we need to ask God for it. If I had to identify a top five list of things for which I've prayed over the course of my spiritual journey and my pastoral ministry, wisdom would certainly be in the top five. It's something, I I, I suppose, virtually every day that I pray for. God, give me wisdom. Give me discernment. Give me discretion. Help me to sort through the garbage and see life from your perspective, to see this situation or this decision from your perspective. and So to gain wisdom for life, we need to ask God for it. But sometimes... Our prayers are more like a kid who knocks on a stranger's doorstep and runs off into the shadows. We come and and we go with no plans to actually engage with God. So to gain wisdom, ask God. Are you praying for wisdom? If you're not, you should be. Because I don't know a person in the room who doesn't need wisdom. Now on this Father's Day, I think us guys would acknowledge, hopefully you'll admit with me, that that you need wisdom. I don't have this thing called life all figured out. Uh, There's a lot of things I look at and go, what in the world is going on right now? Uh, And so I I, want to continually run to the source of wisdom, uh, to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that brings us to number three, to gain wisdom, trust Christ. So here's the thing. In Scripture, wisdom is not a thing. Wisdom is a person. A person. The early Christians saw Jesus as the embodiment of wisdom and became wise as they walked with him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 24, the apostle Paul writes there, he says, But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Of God, the very wisdom of God. So, the, the wisest thing anyone can do is to receive Christ by faith and begin a lifelong pursuit of following Him. Uh, you, you take all of these nuggets of wisdom, uh, it's actually referred to uh, in, in an ancient way as the sayings. Okay? If you want to see all these things perfectly lived out, you look at Jesus. You look at Jesus. He personified, embodied wisdom itself. And so you want wisdom? Fear God, ask God, and trust Christ, and commit your life to following Him. You see, in Scripture, we we, we use the word in in our church culture, particularly uh, because we believe it's biblical, it should be a priority. We use the word disciple a lot. Well, a disciple. Uh, The word in the original language was mathetes, and so a mathetes was someone who would apprentice themselves to someone else. And so the word mathetes, biblically speaking, was not just a term uh, set aside for the 12 guys who followed Jesus in his earthly ministry. It would be used of anyone who would apprentice themselves to a master. It's not uncommon, even in our culture today, we have people who will mathe taste apprentice themselves to a, an electrician or to a plumber or to a, whatever. Uh, You're saying I want to attach myself to this person because they know far more in this field than I do, and I want to learn from them. Actually, the word disciple in Scripture means a learner. It's a learner, and so if you want to get wisdom, trust Christ and commit to following Him. Commit to following him. So let's, let's take a little overview, uh, a little flyover of the book of Proverbs for a moment and then kind of bring this back home. The book of Proverbs is a collection of practical life wisdom given mostly in short, memorable statements. And while it is part of a larger uh, body of wisdom literature that many would say includes Job and Psalms and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon. Uh, The book of Proverbs is unique. It's really unique. It's unique in its structure. It's mostly, again, a collection of individual statements without much context or organization by topic. That's why it makes it difficult to preach through the book of Proverbs in a verse-by-verse sort of way. Okay, Because you can look through here and there are times where it seems kind of disconnected. Um, It's almost like uh, not long ago. Again, I was way out in little town of Terlingua, and we were in this really uh, crazy, eclectic kind of gift shop. And of course, they had like uh, this big display of like bumper stickers. And so you can flip through there and be like, you know, you can see all these. In some respects, as you read through Proverbs, it's kind of like spiritual bumper stickers in a sense. Uh, And so uh, it's 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 unique in its structure. It's also unique in its theology. It's concerned more with practical life wisdom more than ideas about God and his work in salvation. I'm not saying it's completely disconnected from who God is. Uh, it begins with the fear of God, after all. But it's a very practical. I think that's why some people naturally gravitate to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs. Uh, people who don't uh, have any interest in studying Revelation, for example, or Ezekiel and Daniel and uh, the language there and all the things that just kind of make for some interpretive challenges and stuff, man, they'll run to Proverbs. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, uh, but many times we want to treat Proverbs kind of like uh, little spiritual vitamins. I remember years ago, my mom would give me like these Flintstone vitamins, right? You know, Chew this up, Mike. And so you're like, okay, okay. <laughs> You know, and that's how some people treat Proverbs. It's kind of like, well, if I grab one of these little spiritual vitamins on my way out the door in the morning, then I'll be spiritually healthy. That's not really the way they're intended to work. Okay? Proverbs teach wisdom through short points and principles, but should not be regarded as laws or even universal promises. One commentator said it this way, Proverbs are wonderfully successful at being what they are. Proverbs. Proverbs. They're not uh, prophecies or systematic theology. Proverbs, by design, lay out pointed observations meant to be memorized or to be pondered, not always intended to be applied across the board to every situation without qualification. Uh, Proverbs often generalize and are sometimes seen as, as, some would say, making life too tidy to be true. Uh, That's why uh, the wisdom literature kind of goes together, because some would say what you find in Proverbs as it relates to living life by God's design is you find the general rule. But what you find in Job and Ecclesiastes is the exceptions, right? Uh, Sometimes life doesn't always turn out the way we would expect or the way we think it should. I mean, think about Job. Job. And so they, they all fit together. Um, and so uh, Proverbs, again, while they may give some of these general type statements and things of that nature, I think it's, it's understood, as we, as we come to understand Proverbs better, that we have to use some, some wits. We have, to, we have to be able to, to kind of understand how these things work in real life. And so, for example, how, how would you synthesize like these two statements, for example? These things are both considered Proverbs. We, we sometimes say, many hands make light work. Okay, that's considered a proverb. That's a, that's a little bit of wisdom. Uh, we had a, a car wash out here yesterday with about 20 of us washing, it seemed like 6,000 cars. I don't know. I, it, I, we probably didn't do quite that many, but it seemed like it. And I was so thankful that when, when, when it was really busy, I was thankful that all of us were jumping in. Okay, I mean Every little, phase, every little step of the way, when it's time to drive, man, there's here's 10 people surrounding that car and they're, they're wiping it down and all that kind of thing. But then there's also... A little wise saying that maybe you've heard, maybe your grandmother used it. Too many cooks spoil the broth. So how, how, do you, how do you synthesize those two things? In certain situations, and depending on the task and the nature of the task, you can have too many people in the kitchen, right? <laughs> I know some of you ladies, there have been times where you're like, would some of y'all just get out of here? Just get out of here. It would help a lot if you just get out of here, Right? And so, again, there's even some wisdom involved in understanding how to apply these bits of wisdom. Proverbs itself makes this clear. A proverb is not a magical formula bringing wisdom and blessing by some kind of incantation. Okay, In fact, in Proverbs 26.7, Phillips translates it this way. It says, like a lame man's legs, which hang useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Proverbs rarely quotes other parts of the Hebrew scriptures, such as the Torah. So, the Proverbs of Solomon, it says here. Okay, let's make our way through this uh, introduction of these first seven verses. The Proverbs of Solomon. Solomon was the king of Israel known for his wisdom. Uh, if you're not familiar with this guy, in 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, in that whole narrative there, uh, Solomon was the one of whom God asked, Ask anything that you want, I'll give it to you. Can you imagine God essentially coming to you and going, "Hey, just I'll give you a blank check. You just fill in fill in the amount, fill in what you want." And what did Solomon ask for? More chariots? More stuff? No, he asked for wisdom. He asked for wisdom, and God commended him for that. And and there's different accounts in Scripture. Some of you might remember the account where the the two mothers came, and and they'd each had a child, and one of them died during the night, and and so they they, they bring the the surviving baby uh, before King Solomon, and it's like, who, whose whose baby is this? And he goes, I'll tell you what, just cut the baby in half, and we'll give you half, and you and naturally the real mother was like, oh no 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 no, no. And Solomon, in his wisdom, used that. As a way of making a wise decision. It was also said of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 4. He spake 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005. Also, he spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish, and men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Not to suggest in any way that Solomon was perfect. I mean, the dude had 700 wives after all. Not sure how much wisdom there was in that. The opening, the Proverbs of Solomon, should not be taken to mean that Solomon was the author of all these Proverbs. Uh, there, in fact, there are a few other authors that are specifically mentioned here. Uh, we would do well to understand that Solomon likely collected uh, all of these proverbs to include in uh, this particular book. And so, uh, so the, pro- the prominence of Solomon in, in these statements of wisdom gives us this, uh, again, this kind of sense of pause because we realize even though someone was described as being incredibly wise, he, he didn't get it right 100% of the time. It's one of the things that I love about Scripture is that it doesn't give us some photoshopped, touched-up version of these biblical characters. Solomon's life did not finish in a place of wisdom. And you can see that in Scripture. So we could divide the book up into really five sections, you might say. There's the superiority of wisdom, and there's some kind of like wisdom speeches given in the first nine chapters. Then there's uh, the practical problems of chapters 10 through 22, words of the wise... Uh, In chapters 22 to 24, the Proverbs of Solomon, which were uh, copied by the scribes of Hezekiah. uh, We find those in in 25 through 29. And then it ends uh, in chapters 30 and 31 uh, with a general Proverbs and a description uh, of a tribute to a godly woman. Uh, It's from King Lemuel, his mother, uh, giving him wisdom. And so obviously the central theme of the book is simply wisdom. But again, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and he says that Christ is the wisdom of God, and Christ is the power of God. So uh, as we read the book of Proverbs, everything uh, it says, uh, wisdom, every time we see the word wisdom there, you could very simply substitute the word Christ. And I think it would be fitting So if we begin even right here in verse number one of chapter one and substitute the word Christ for wisdom, you'll see how it applies to us as New Testament believers. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know Christ and instruction. To know Christ and instruction. To perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom. Then you can skip down to verse number seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise Christ and, and instruction. So you just substitute Christ most often. It's fitting. Everywhere you find the word wisdom and you'll see that it fits. Christ is the wisdom of God. And you'll notice that the book of Proverbs is written using a, a literary device called parallelism. Uh, it is a, it's, a, it's a very interesting concept, a very interesting uh, literary tool uh, where a second clause restates or strengthens or clarifies what is given in a first clause. And so many times you'll see these Proverbs, they kind of come in couplets, okay, in pairs. For example, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 28, it says, A worthless witness mocks at justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. In the very next verse, chapter uh, 19, verse 29, Condemnation is ready for scoffers and beating for the backs of fools. And so that's called synonymous parallelism. He says one thing in the first clause, and then he says essentially the same thing, in maybe a little stronger way, uh, but in a different way in the second clause. Sometimes we find here that there's contrast parallelism. In that, there is a truth that is stated in the first clause, but then it's made stronger in the second clause by way of contrast. A good example of that is found in chapter 13, verse number 9, where it says, The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked goes out. See the contrast there? The light of the righteous rejoices, but by contrast, the lamp of the wicked goes out. That's contrasting parallelism. And then you'll find that there is synthetic parallelism. That is uh, where a second clause develops further the thought of the first clause. We find that in Proverbs chapter 20, verse number 2, where it says, The terror of a king is like the growling of a lion. He who provokes him to anger forfeits his life. So you see this synthetic parallelism. The second clause develops the thought of the first. That's why the terror of a king is like the growling of a lion. Because if you provoke the king, then he is like a lion. He will eat you up. He will be like a lion and devour you. Uh, and so, hopefully, that helps you understand a little better uh, the book of Proverbs. I want us to close with just two uh, very, very important truths. I want us to notice first of all the purpose of the book of Proverbs. I think it's pretty clear here in in the introduction: to know wisdom and instruction. Here's the opening. Solomon explains the purpose of these sayings of wisdom. Uh, they are intended to give the attentive reader wisdom, instruction, perception understanding, to know wisdom and instruction. As I mentioned earlier, we are living in the information age, but we certainly don't seem to be living in the age of wisdom. We're having a real hard time sorting through all the info. Okay, and you've got all these competing things coming at us, worldviews and stuff, and so we desperately need wisdom to discern what's false and what's true. I've often used a kind of a crude illustration, perhaps, of, of this. But there was a old fellow walking through a field one day, and he came upon what looked to him to be a, a cow pie, cow patty. He stopped. He looked at it, and he said, "You know what? That looks like a cow pie." He bent down a little closer, and he said, "That smells like a cow pie." Then he reached down and stuck his finger, in it and he said, "That tastes like a cow pie." He goes. I sure am glad I didn't step in it. (laughs) See, we need need an unusual amount of of discernment these days because you can see some stuff coming at you, and you're like, you know what? That smells like a cow pie. And it looks an awful lot like a cow pie. And if I was to taste it, I bet you it tastes like a cow pie. So you know what? I'm not going to step in it. That's some wisdom, y'all. So that's the purpose of this book, to understand words of insight. It's helpful to remember, again, the difference between wisdom and knowledge. You, you can have a lot of knowledge without wisdom. Like, knowledge is essentially a collection of facts. Wisdom is the right use of what we know for daily living. So knowledge can tell someone uh, how to work financial systems. But wisdom manages a budget properly. So it's probably a safe bet to say that most people today are really not as interested in wisdom as they should be. Now, they're interested in making money, they're interested in having a good time, some interested in knowing something and getting an education, but it seems that fewer and fewer people really want to understand wisdom. The pursuit of wisdom is not a popular idea. So to receive instruction in wise dealings... Proverbs is something of a school of wisdom. We come to it with open hearts and minds, receiving its teachings. And if we do, it will show us justice and judgment and equity. And those things will flow from our lives. He says here to give prudence to the simple. The simple, they're they're uneducated. They need instruction. The wisdom of this book will make the young, inexperienced one know what to do and how to do it in life. It will give knowledge and discretion. One characteristic of the simple is that they are gullible. They're gullible. You You ever encountered someone like that who will believe almost anything? Proverbs 14, 15 says this, The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. Simple. The word indicates the the person whose mind is dangerously open, gullible, naive, may have opinions, may have a lot of opinions in fact, but lacks deeply thought through field tested convictions. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. Now, that word hear in Scripture is very, very important. Uh, If you go back to the Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6, it begins essentially with that word hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. But again, I want to make sure you understand this. The word hear, when it's used most often in Scripture, it is not just talking about hearing something with your ears in an auditory sort of way. It's talking about hearing something and heeding what you have heard and putting it into practice. It's not just having a head knowledge. It's taking that knowledge and using it wisely as you make decisions, as you look at life and all of the complexities that make up our lives. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. So not only is Proverbs for the simple, the inexperienced, even a wise man will find much to help and guide him, if only he will hear. Even a man of understanding can attain wise counsel from Proverbs. To understand, he goes on to say, a proverb and an enigma is actually the word there. It's The, it's the wisdom of the book of Proverbs helps us to solve difficult problems and what we would describe as the riddles of life. That's Proverbs. So let's return to really kind of where we started I want you to notice finally this morning the foundation of all wisdom. And again, Solomon makes it crystal clear here in these first few verses. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The book of Proverbs focuses on practical life wisdom more than on theological ideas. And yet it is founded on this very vital theological principle that true knowledge and wisdom flow from the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord, don't misunderstand, it's not a cowering, begging sort of fear. It is the proper reverence that the creature owes to the Creator and that the redeemed owes to the Redeemer. It is the proper respect and honoring of God. I accumulated just what a few Uh, individuals, theologians, have written as their definitions of the fear of the Lord. Jerry Bridges said it this way, it is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to the Father's law. Another commentator said, a worshiping submission to the God of covenant. Another one said, the fear of the Lord ultimately expresses reverential submission to the Lord's will and thus characterizes a true worshiper. You notice the common theme in each of those? Humility and submission. Humility and submission. And so Solomon very wisely here tells us that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. is having a proper understanding of who God is and who we are not. And I think we would all admit that there are probably some people on this planet, and we are sometimes looking at them in the mirror who mistakenly think that they are God. No, he is God and we are not. So God should be regarded with respect and reverence and awe. And that proper attitude of the the creature toward the creator is the beginning, Solomon says here, of knowledge, wisdom. Wisdom cannot advance further until that starting point is established. So if true wisdom can simply be gained by our best efforts, uh, our energy, our ingenuity, then the fear of the Lord is not essential in maintaining wisdom. But if it comes from God's revelation, and we believe it does, then a right relationship with him is the key of wisdom. And so if you're here this morning and your view of God, and the way you relate to him is that he's just some old, wise sage sitting in an ivory tower of of pithy, wise thoughts and everything, just wanting to, to throw out another wise nugget on you, that's not what God intends. He wants us to have relationship with him, to walk in relationship with him. And again, we see this personified in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. So the beginning of knowledge. What the alphabet is to good literature, and what notes are to good music, and what numbers are to math, the fear of the Lord is to attaining the wisdom of God. So the beginning of knowledge. Solomon I think he probably meant here, uh, by using the word knowledge, it's most likely the sense of wisdom, as, as we're uh, distinguishing today. So the idea that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it's also found in, in in other parts of the wisdom literature. Job, for example, chapter 28, Psalm chapter 111, Proverbs 9, Ecclesiastes 12. Now don't be confused by the word beginning. Okay, beginning many times has the sense of, uh, the, the first and controlling principle rather than a stage that we leave behind. So when he says the beginning of wisdom he 's not simply saying here, this is step one and then you' leave this behind. once you kind of get the fear of the Lord thing under then you no no, you continue to operate as you seek God for godly wisdom, biblical wisdom, you always do it in the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord um, Someone said it this way, the fundamental fact then is that in all knowledge, all understanding of life, all interpretation thereof, the fear of the Lord is the principal thing, the chief part, the central light, apart from which the mind of man gropes in darkness and misses the way. And I want to remind you as we close today that we see this lived out in a very stark graphic way in Genesis chapter 3. Because it's in Genesis chapter 3 that we find what we call the fall of man, original sin. And Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 3 verse 6, it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and check this out, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. You think that that was the fear of the Lord? No, 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 This was a desire to, as Satan tempted, to be like God. So, so what is your approach to the book of wisdom? Do, do, do you look at it and go, well, I just want to be more smarter than everybody else? No. So I can come across as kind of knowing it all. If if there's any kind of of, of self-centeredness, self-promotion or anything like that, you're you're missing the point. And that's what we see there in Genesis chapter 3. So Scripture says she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And hopefully you know the rest of the story. Plunged mankind into a colossal problem with a holy God. Why? I want some of that. Because it'll make one wise. So in much the same way, you got people today who are looking at all this stuff out there. And it's like, oh, I want some of that. It'll make, make me wise. I want some of that philosophy. I want some of that. Ph- I need some of this philosophy. I, I need, it'll make me wise. All the while, not considering the fear of the Lord. So if we could, for just a moment, bow our heads and close our eyes as we. Enter into a time of decision, a time of reflection. The worst thing that we could do today is leave here just having heard a sermon, checking off a box on our list of things that we do on a Sunday, and our lives not being changed or transformed by the Word. I'm well aware of the fact that there may be some in the room this morning who would say, Pastor, I am uncertain about my relationship with God. This talk of the fear of the Lord, the fear of God, those are foreign concepts to me. And maybe on this Father's Day, you're one of those who struggles in your relationship with God because you yourself did not have a very wise earthly father. In fact there may be some things that you deal with on a daily basis as a result of that broken dysfunctional relationship perhaps. So to understand wisdom, to walk in wisdom begins with us first having a right relationship with God through his son the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not suggesting this morning that there aren't unsaved people out there who do not have wisdom, but true biblical wisdom to see life from God's perspective begins with us being in a right relationship with him through Jesus Christ. To get wisdom, fear God, ask him, trust Christ the one who perfectly embodied wisdom itself so if you're here today and you've never committed your life to Christ you've never taken that simple step of faith whereby you acknowledge your sinfulness cried out to the Lord Jesus in your need of a savior i invite you to do that today i would love to to share with you after the service today. i would love to to take you aside and just share with you from the Word of God what that means. There may be some here today who would say, Pastor, I'm at a phase of my life where I really need some wisdom. I've got an important decision looming on the horizon and I, I need wisdom. Let me invite you to seek the Lord. And I'm not suggesting that you're going to turn to a certain page in the book of Proverbs and find the exact answer that you're looking for, but I certainly believe God will be faithful by His Holy Spirit and by His Word to reveal to you the wisdom that you need. I would love to come alongside you and pray with you about that need, about that decision. We have other pastors, other leaders, our deacons, would love to, to, to partner with you in prayer about those needs. So, Heavenly Father, today we come before you acknowledging our need for wisdom. In an age of confusion and spiritual darkness, division, it seems at every turn, we desperately need your wisdom. And so, as James instructs us, we we ask you for wisdom understanding that that wisdom comes first through a clear understanding of who you are, the author of life, the giver of life, the sustainer of life. Help us, O Lord, to see life from your perspective. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful, committed followers of Jesus Christ, the one who in his earthly life and ministry perfectly personified and embodied wisdom. We love you. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.